respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bun Wurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the SIN office and studios stand. SIN Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. SIN Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which SIN partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to um, Raise a Platform for another wonderful episode. Today we have an American. We have Stephen, um, who's a multidisciplinary creative with spinal muscular atrophy. He lives in New York City with his girlfriend, spending his mornings drinking iced coffee and his evenings binging television. He's an advocate for authentic representation in the media and he created the squeaky wheel to amplify disabled voices and bring humour and nuances of living with disability. It is a satirical Instagram account which posts hilarious parody articles on disability. It is genuinely quite hilarious. And um, some of the um, headings you have here are genuinely amazing. They are so funny. Um, and we're really excited to um, have you on Raise the Platform. We've never had an American before and it's very exciting. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to be a part of something in Australia. I've never done anything for Australia either. And it's such an interesting country. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this. Um, so I'm from Australia and I know the rights and experiences of American disabled people can be quite different from Australian. What is it like living as a disabled person in the United States of America? So I think being disabled in every country is vastly different. Um, America, I would say, falls somewhere in the middle or in, in certain parts of life. It's one of the better sort of more comfortable and accessible places, um, but in other ways, not so much. One of the things that I've found to be rather uniquely American is our government benefits, such as healthcare, any type of real disability, disability benefits that you need are almost exclusively funded through Medicaid, which is sort of our government healthcare. And Medicaid is only available to people who are living in poverty. So there is a very unique thing in America where if you're disabled and you want healthcare, you have to live in poverty. You have to not have any substantial income um, or employment. There are some loopholes and ways that people work around that. I myself have a full-time job and I have to work very hard to make sure I'm able to keep my job without losing my health care. That's something that is a little unfortunate and one of the more American things I would say about being disabled. But there's a whole variety of things ranging from home care to transportation, public accessibility. Um, all of those things vary a lot from country to country. Yeah, the um, we have our free health care. We have our Medicare in Australia. It's not perfect. We have our NDS, NDIS in Australia. It is also not perfect, but a lot of people really do, you know, really are aware of the lack of public health care in the United States. And apparently you had it for a short period, um, but it was gotten rid of. Yeah, so there's been sort of a period. It's gone through a lot of changes. And currently the system we have, again, is it public health care is connected to living in poverty 
and having no income, which is a horrible thing. And it really forces people with disabilities to decide if they want health care or if they want a job because you can't have both. Well, that is genuinely quite disturbing. And as a disabled person, I am quite angry about that. Uh, that is actually really, really disturbing and really um, rage-inducing. And it just makes me feel sick that, you know, disabled people cannot be live as um, live and um, participate in this in society and also have, you know, the health care that they need. And Yes, but it is great material for us to make fun of at the Squeaky Wheel. Um, healthcare is one of the, the most common things, I would say, that we make jokes about in our, our articles. They really have a very sort of cure model and a very sort of isolating model of disability in America, where they consider disability to be a burden. And Definitely. It's very tied to the, the economy here, and disability is almost always sort of connected to poverty. That's the real the real American model. For our listeners who don't know what the squeaky wheel is, can you tell us what the squeaky wheel is, please? Sure. So the squeaky wheel is a satire publication that is written entirely by disability, uh, by people with disabilities and basically covers all sorts of topics that touch on disability. If you've ever read publications like The Onion or Reductress, um, I'm sure there's Australian satire publications as well. Uh, I believe the Batuta, Batuta, something like that. I've the seen Batuta before. Advocate. Another what one is called the Shovel. The, 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 well. the Batuta Advocate and the Shovel. Exactly. I've come across uh, the Batuta Advocate myself. Um, and the Shovel, so satire basically, we're, we're writing humor pieces funny stories about sort of the challenging or ableist or unique, awkward, weird experiences that people with disabilities have. Our audience is almost exclusively people with disabilities and all of our writers are disabled. So it's a really interesting perspective and we've been doing it for about two years now and we're excited to keep growing. I think it's actually probably more popular in Australia than here. In in the United States, satire is very niche. It's not something that uh, a lot of people are familiar with, probably with the exception of The Onion. The Onion is very, very big in the United States. Um, so what made you create the squeaky world? What was the story that led you to, you know, put pen to paper and create this hilarious Instagram account. Now, I'm going to read out some of the funny headlines you have because it is very funny what you have on this Instagram account and I think we should be reading it out. Some of them are very funny. Um, ABA certified mechanic struggles to correct broken vehicle for behaving badly. Yes, that one posted right before this interview. <laughs> yes. Devastating. The most famous person with your rare disability actually sucks. How to tell if that sound is tinnitus or the sound of sleigh bells jingling, ring ting tingling too? After a traumatic flight experience, this emotional support animal requires its own emotional support animal. 500 new things to get hyper-focused on now that the FDA has declared an Adderall shortage. 
Ticketmaster requires users to fix all six Infinity Stones to defeat Thanos to acquire accessible concert seats. All of women's friends know intimate details about her husband's range of motion. Pain Doctor adds reptile tank to complete drug dealer experience. Oopsie, neurodivergent man pays billions to destroy disabled space. Toxic positivity goes airborne, hospitalizing thousands. She's a witch. Woman appears without her walker. Able-bodied spirit feels insensitive possessing disabled doll. Horror movie fan disappointed to meet surprisingly boring man diagnosed with schizophrenia. New adaptive kitchen knives allow disabled woman more to more easily. No, this one's really funny. New adaptive kitchen knives allow disabled women to more easily murder their husbands. Um, we have quite a few. Yeah, they get funnier as you go down. I'm glad you're uh, you're enjoying them. But yeah, I mean. Oh, Disabled Monopoly player panics as assets approach two thousand dollars. Which is that? See, that's in America probably the cutoff of how much money you're allowed to have before you get their free healthcare over there. Exactly. So that that one is exactly what we were talking about before. Our our asset limit here for the for most people is two thousand dollars. So as soon as you receive dollar two thousand and one, your healthcare gets shut off, and you're expected to pay for your own health care, which can be quite insane. I can tell you my health care costs myself are almost a million dollars per year. So no matter how much money I make, I would never be able to pay my own health care costs um, because I require expensive equipment. I have a lot of home care assistance um, and all of those things are so expensive. But again, if you go over that asset limit, your health care is shut off. And that's the story that kind of shows how we how we find humor in these very difficult or, or frustrating parts of society. I know you had mentioned before what made me create the Spooky Wheel. Yes. Uh, into that story. Yes, because I, we got a bit distracted by the sheer funniness of what was being <laughs> have um what made you create the Squeaky Wheel? What is the story behind it? Absolutely. So I started Squeaky Wheel myself about two years ago. Prior to that, I was trying to make a short film. I was trying to do a lot of screenwriting um, that was sort of comedic disability-related pieces. And what I found was that I just had so much to say. And I would watch the news and watch these things on TV and see the way people were talking about disability. And it was infuriating. And it felt so funny to me the way that disability is talked about in the media. Um, And then I realized that with the satire publication, it would be a much sort of lower barrier to entry if you've ever worked with film or know anyone who works in film, it's incredibly expensive and difficult uh, to create even a very short, simple film. So I thought, oh, this would be great if I do written pieces instead of video pieces. I can do many more of them. I can get all my ideas out there very fast. It costs no money to write. I can really just get my ideas out quickly. And I started posting them online. Within a couple months, it started to find an audience on Instagram, um, as well as sites like Reddit and Tumblr. 
And then people wanted to write for the squeaky wheel, which is really exciting because that was really what I was hoping that it wouldn't just be myself because I am one straight white guy who uses a wheelchair in New York. And that's a very specific experience of disability. Other people's experiences of disabilities are vastly different than my own. And I knew that theirs was probably funny too, but funny in a way that's different from my experience. So I was really excited when other people wanted to write for the Squeaky Reel. And again, over the last two years, we've had about 25 different people with disabilities write stories for us. We have over 200 stories that we've written on our website and we're continuing to grow. Um, so there are some very funny ones, but we want to know what your favorite piece that you have written for the squeaky wheel is. So like, um, I've got some favorite ones here. It's getting really funny here. Disabled actors too difficult to work with. Claim studio that cast the notoriously compliant Jared Leto. Disabled millennials find accessible careers in the pirate fleet. High school girl judge wearing the same orthodontics two days in a row. What's for dinner? The autistic woman has literally one answer. Eight natural and definitely not agonizing ways to heal your depression. Feel old yet? The deaf child in area is now a deaf adult and he's not. This woman loves her disabled husband for his personality, not the size of his. No, I can't read that one on air. That's too funny. Tell us what your favorite one is. So. I would say, I always answer this question that my favorite one is the most recent one that was written. Um, just because these stories take a lot of time and I work on them with a lot of the writers. We go through a lot of iterations, a lot of changes. So I always sort of enjoy the ones that's new, the ones that feels the most timely. Um, the most recent one that I've written, the headline is something of the lines oh no, there's only one accessible stall and both these guys need to poop. And it shows two men in wheelchairs waiting for the one accessible restroom toilet to become available. Again, it's a very stupid premise. It's very silly, but it made me laugh and I thought it would be a fun story. So I will say at the moment, that is my favorite. What is the role? So here's, here's where it gets a bit serious. What is the role of satire in changing the perception of disability? I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of times it's very easy to discount um, our stories kind of as memes or as jokes. And they should be funny. We want them to be funny. We want them to feel like silly memes. But it's always exciting when there is sort of a deeper message in there. And often we have people who read these stories and comment this is so true it feels almost real because of how relatable it is and i think that's really the power of satire is that you can call out something that is so absurd by really emphasizing how absurd it is so in the monopoly example that you mentioned before where the player earned over two thousand dollars it is such a silly thing but you don't think of it as silly when you hear it on the news, because they talk about it in a way that's very professional. They normalize it. They make it seem like, oh, of course, there's an income limit on healthcare. That's how it's always been in the United States in particular. And when you write these silly stories, people say, oh, this is just a joke. And you start to realize that a lot of 
real things in society are kind of silly and kind of ridiculous and often made up with no real reason. So I think that's kind of the power of satire and it makes people see disability as something that is not necessarily sad, but something that is weird or awkward, funny, uncomfortable, and you know, it, it highlights ableism in that way. One of the things I talk about with media, particularly media aimed for disabled people, is that it is media created for disabled people by disabled people without non-disabled people in mind. And a lot of people feel genuinely threatened by that there is media not created for them in mind and that disabled people are telling their own stories for them and for a non-disabled audience from their own perspective. So what is the importance of creating media by and for disabled people without non-disabled people in mind? I think that's and it's another great question. It's something that I thought a lot about when I first first started writing stories for the Spooky Rail. I was very worried that it would be too niche and that it would never be able to find an audience if only a very specific group of people um, were able to understand the jokes. And what I realized first was that the disability community online is huge, thousands and thousands and thousands, probably millions of people um, with disabilities who are looking for funny, relatable content like that. And second, I realized that a lot of people who aren't necessarily disabled themselves are sort of disability adjacent, and they still really enjoy that type of content. There's people whose family members are disabled, people whose significant other is disabled, people who maybe had a disability at one point and don't anymore, people who, there's people who don't know if they're disabled, who don't know if sort of what's going on with their body and their mind and their conditions are considered disabilities or if they feel disabled. All of these people certainly enjoy our content and find humor in it. And I'm glad that we're able to make it authentic and make it by people with disabilities because that's really the only way to ensure that our our takes are accurate and fair and that we're speaking sort of what the disability community wants to be said. Um, what sort of feedback have you received on the squeaky wheel? Um, and how is it different between disabled people and non-disabled people? So people liking this, this Instagram account or do they have issues with it or are they disliking it? Have they given you any positive or negative feedback? Um, and how have the feedback between disabled and non-disabled people differed? I would say 99% of our feedback has been very positive. Um, there hasn't been a ton of pushback. And I would say the most common feedback that we get is sort of our stories really resonate for people and they feel represented by them. They feel like, oh, this is funny and this is also my life. And and that's really great to hear that, to hear that we're doing justice to the experiences that people with disability are having. On the negative side, I would say the most common feedback we get from non-disabled people is sort of a general confusion. And a lot of times it comes either in the forms of, oh, this news isn't real. And in which case our response is, no, it is not. It is satire. It's not supposed to be real. Uh, and then the other sort of one that we get is, is that it's mean and that we're making fun of people with disabilities and people with disabilities are these 
sensitive, fragile puppies that should not be joked about. And I think that one is kind of easy to disregard. And it's kind of comical when people come to us with that mindset. And then they start to realize that actually all of these stories are written by people with disabilities and that they're enjoying humor and that it, it is helpful and beneficial to everyone involved. Um, so I'd say those are kind of the common common responses that we get. But overall, it's been pretty positive and we're very happy. We never, our, our goal is never to to be edgy and to upset people or things like that. Our, our goal is to make people laugh and make them enjoy our content. So when you do face criticism, how do you handle the criticism that you face? Um, I have a, a very firm sort of response in that we, or at least the Spreaky Reel, as, a, as an account on Instagram, as a website, as a Twitter, is we don't respond at all. I let people comment whatever they want. I don't delete comments. I don't respond. Um, I let our audience speak for us because I think that's really the most exciting way and the most sort of professional way to handle it. And you'll see in a lot of our posts, if anyone says, oh, this joke is offensive or I don't understand this, you'll see a dialogue start between our readers where they say, oh, actually, I enjoyed that joke. Or occasionally, you're right, I don't like this joke either. And then we learn from that. And we say, oh, okay, we're, we're not going to make that joke again. Maybe we didn't think about it all the way. Maybe we use language that's a little insensitive, certainly when you're writing hundreds and hundreds of jokes about people with disabilities, it's very easy to come close to that line where you're hurting people and it's a risk that we take. And when it does occasionally cross that line, we change it. I've edited stories to make things feel more appropriate. Um, so we'll certainly be mindful of the criticism and we read it, but we do not publicly respond to it. So what do you do outside of the squeaky wheel and how do you express your creativity otherwise other than this Instagram account or this website that you run? So the squeaky wheel for me is a side project. It is not my full-time job. Um, my primary job is I work as a graphic designer for a very big American television company. Um, I've been working there for about five years. I still love design. I love illustration. I love all, sort of all of the visual arts and I certainly partake in that. And then the Squeaky Reel is really great because it lets me explore a different type of creativity that is writing and comedy and being silly and almost the opposite of, uh, of a more professional job where I have to be very serious and perfect and sort of creating very, uh, very professional creative works. It's fun to be able to do stuff that's more silly, more personal, and really speaks for myself. Now that's the end of our standards, the standard questions that we've made, but I've got some, you raised some very interesting topics about um, living in America without free or universal healthcare. Because when if you write free healthcare, they all, um, because I asked, you know, Americans, why, why are you so against free healthcare? And they said, oh, it's not free because someone has to pay for it. Taxes, yeah. It's just like, you really don't like taxes over there. You really don't like it. Yes, there is a, a I would say it's very generational. So they'll find that 
most people our age uh, don't necessarily hold that opinion, but the country as a whole and politicians and lots of voters are extremely sensitive to tax increases. Uh, so that that definitely is a big factor in why it's been so so difficult to get universal health care in the U.S. Like, you know, in America, is there a strong, is there a, is there a lot of support now? Because there wasn't for many years. Is there a lot of support now for a universal health care in the United States? Has that support changed? How is it sort of evolving over time? Do you think it would become a reality again in the future? Because they have had it for short periods. Yes. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm speaking a little broadly here and my, and my numbers might be not exactly correct, but my guess, my hunch would be that the majority of the people in the country do want that and do support it. It's primarily opposed by uh, sort of the people in power who are, are politicians, large corporations. Healthcare is a extremely lucrative, profitable industry in the United States um, at a time when most industries are uh, sort of struggling and then there's a lot of financial instability. I think a lot of people see universal health care as a, an economic threat. That's the main thing. And I think the, the primary opposition is business and government, not necessarily um, individuals. Another issue I, I read out why a group of people don't support um, universal health care in the United States is that they feel that um, whenever the government manages something, the government isn't good. They think that private management is significantly better and that they think that the private of the private way it's been managed that they feel that the government cannot be trusted to manage something. And that's yes, also that's... scary as well because we find that whilst our universal health care in Australia has some issues, um, mainly due to finance, um, that, you know, it's well managed. Yes, I, I think that's sort of a, a common sentiment in the US, no matter where you go, is that government funds can be... Uh, misallocated. There's a lot of fraud and corruption within the government and people feel that if you trust the government to handle something like healthcare, that they're going to keep the money and that it's not really going to go back into the system. Um, there, there is quite a lot of people who hold that sentiment because we've had such historic corruption in the past. Um, I'm not one of those people. I, I want I want healthcare in the government's hands. I do think they would do a better job with it. But you're correct. That's a very common sentiment in the US. How is education for disabled people in the United States? Because in Australia, there are schools that are specifically for disabled people, but they are not schools that are safe. Um, I feel in America, your public schools have a very strong social or socio-cultural history, whereas in Australia, public schools don't have the same socio-cultural history. It's actually more private schools that are considered to be like that. So how, you know, in, in America is their education system, is it accessible to disabled people or is it completely inaccessible? Um, I would say it's reasonably accessible. I, I think we, we certainly have both options. We have uh, private schools that are specifically for people with disabilities. There are not that many of them, but there are some. And then our public schools are required by law here to make reasonable accommodations to accommodate students with disabilities. Um, 
I am a personal example of that myself. I was the first uh, student to use a wheelchair at the public school that I went to, and they had to build a whole bunch of ramps just so I could get into the building and get to my classrooms. Um, yeah. And they did that, so I was able to go there. So I think certainly they're they're willing to make accommodations. I think with education, there's always a big range. It depends a lot from state to state and from student to student. But overall, most people with disabilities do go to public school um, and classes are for the most part integrated. But in Australia, there's in Australia, um, you know, our public schools are the same legally required to make accessibility arrangements for disabled people, but there's not much money for public schools in Australia. We mainly give it to private schools. So if you're wealthy, your parents may send you to a private school where there is a lot of, you know, you know, historic, you know, like, you know, public school Australia literally just places for the wealthy to sort of network and sort of, um, stay as a in it's a status symbol really to go to a private school and to a lot of the schools in Australia, private schools do teach towards wealthy, privileged people and disabled people often fall by the wayside in them. Even though they do, the unfortunately the teaching quality is better in the private schools than it is in the public schools here. But accessibility is really not treated the way it is. When I was in primary school, we renovated the primary school. We didn't put a lift for the second story. So the whole second story has no lift. We just said it was too much money. And they just, to so the whole primary school, still in 2023, I believe, still does not have a lift to the second story, which is completely not acceptable. And this was this happened in 2011. So it's not like it happened in 1967. Right, right. Yeah, I think stuff like that you'll find probably slightly better in the US. Um, it's also uh, our country as a whole is very, very heavily into public school. There are private schools and there are charter schools, which are kind of in between, but public school is still the majority of the education for, for children in the U.S. Yeah, because in, you know, whilst you know, our private schools do have better teaching, better facilities, they, are, they exist purely to... Um, to basically ensure the rich in our country have a status and above the rest and they don't have a place for disabled people. They do not they're not designed for them. They are a space for the most privileged and it's completely not acceptable in Australia for it to be in twenty twenty three for our education system to be so much in this format. It's just it's unacceptable. It's twenty twenty three we shouldn't have this anymore. It's ridiculous. And whilst a lot of Australians tend to go on about how we are much better than America, there are so many ways that we are not better than America and, you know, this seems to be one of them. If your schools do have better opportunities for disabled people, that is, you know, it just proves that, you know, we are so far behind and it's impossible, you know, for, in my opinion, for a disabled person to receive a good education in Australia even if you spend the money and it's not acceptable anymore that we are still living like this and it's, it has to stop. It has to stop. Great. I, I think too, you'll find, I'm sure it's the same way in Australia, but in the U S there's such a range between sort of the big cities who are very progressive myself. I'm from New York, probably the most big progressive city in the United States. Um, versus as you go further out to more rural places and 
more conservative places, the conditions can be quite different. Um, I'm sure in Australia, you had sort of the same thing where it's a very different experience to be a, a person with a disability in a major city like Sydney versus being in in some rural, very remote area. Do you have any final words to say about um, your work and your work with the squeaky wheel? Do you have any final words to say? Um, I would just say we're excited that, that people in Australia have found us. That is super cool. Um, definitely tell your friends with disabilities about us. And if you want to learn more, you know, DM us, things like that. You can always email us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our website is the-squeaky-real.com. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. We're so excited to have this interview. Awesome. This is great. Nice to meet you.